0: So welcome to A New Human Story. We are talking to people who are co-creating a more heart-centered and harmonious world. And today I'm very excited to be talking with Jamie Miller, who's Canada's leading biomimicrist. Um, So welcome, Jamie. Jamie's mission is to connect to the genius of nature so that we can do it better naturally. So Jamie, I just realized that it was about a year ago today or this month that we did the biomimicry weekend excursion. Was yeah. it, in the fall? Yes,
1: it was, it was uh, late October.
0: Wow, that was such an amazing experience. I definitely didn't know what I was signing up for, but this 24-hour immersion into reconnecting with the language of nature again was just um, was spectacular, right? Like,
1: yeah, I'm so happy yeah, you enjoyed it. And I feel a, a little bit strange that we, with COVID this year, that we weren't able to run more of them. Mm-hmm. Um, But I'm looking forward to figuring out how we can adapt to keep those things going.
0: Yeah, it is amazing. Like, it happened right before this whole lockdown happened, right? Yeah. So just such a contrast of having this, like, totally freeing weekend experience of just being, like, at one with nature and understanding and speaking the language and and getting to know people in a heart-centered way and having these open, fluid conversations. And then then to our reality now, it's just... uh,
1: Yeah, Definitely.
0: totally. <laughs> a big difference. So, you know, with that, maybe if you could um, start by telling us what biomimicry is anyway, because I think people are asking that question.
1: Yeah. By definition, biomimicry is innovation that is inspired by nature. And the most classic example is Velcro, which was inspired by burrs. Uh, a Swiss engineer in the 40s got fed up with burrs sticking to his dog. Uh, And he took it under a microscope to see those hooking mechanisms and copied that to make Velcro, which is one of the most successful adhesives we've we've made. Um, Another good example is uh, emulating humpback whale fins. A company called Whale Power made a much more efficient wind turbine blade, copying these bumps that are on the front edge of the whale fin. And they found that that wind turbine blade runs at 20% greater efficiency with slower wind speeds, and it's a lot quieter. And so biomimicry is essentially just recognizing that nature's been doing design. Uh, It does design, it's been doing it for billions of years. And biomimicry is a lens for us to view the natural world um, in that way. And so we can learn how to be more sustainable, how to be more resilient, how to build better communities and ecosystems, um, how to create new forms, how to inspire new processes, um, all in the effort to be more in harmony with nature.
0: Yeah, I think that's amazing because oftentimes people say, okay, we want to do it better. You know, we want mm-hmm. to be more sustainable, but but we don't know how and and how do we figure that out, right? Mm-hmm. And here we have all around us and in front of us this incredible genius um, yeah. and intelligence that, you know, which we are also built with, by the way, right, as well. Yes. I, mean, I think that's one thing that we forget is that because we are part of nature, that genius also exists somewhere within us, right?
1: <laughs> totally. And I think a lot of my students, you know, I used to teach at OCAD and when such an urban environment, you know, one of the complaints was we don't have access to these, you know, beautiful ecosystems or intact ecosystems like, you know, people would do in other areas. But I mean, you just, I'd ask them to look at their body, which is an incredible design. And you've got access to um, all sorts of inspiration. And I think what you're saying as well is like, yes, we are natural. We are connected to that natural, um, that genius. And so how do we tap into it? And that's part of the, the great challenge with biomimicry is, is that it's learning the language for how to speak to nature um, in a way that, you know, could create and inspire new things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, with that, how do you speak to nature? I mean, how do you <laughs> learn to how do you relearn that language? I think I was at a um I was blessed to be at a sweat lodge a number of years ago out in BC uh, with some elders, and uh it was so amazing. And one thing that they said to me is so I was still early on learning about biomimicry and all these amazing things, and 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 they said, you know. We used to speak the language of nature and it's in us we just forgot and so Mm -hmm. we need to start to remember how to speak that language again and it's within reach and he was like you know the birds want to play with us they want to communicate with us the trees want to talk to us and we're just kind of you know we're missing out on the fun right yeah Um, (laughs) yeah
1: totally i think yeah it's a good point um we have an indigenous elder on our board and when i told her what we did uh she says well we've been doing biomimicry for thousands of years and i think it's important to remember that Biomimicry is a new term, but it's not a new idea. And we have been um, in our history communicating with nature. I mean, part of why I love camping so much is because you're reconnecting to the natural world. You you know, you could be messed up by it if you're not paying attention. If you winter camp and you're not aware of the dangers, the cold, if you're not taking it seriously, um, you can get really, um, you can get really hurt and potentially die. And that's what I love is so the first part of how do you communicate with nature is that you regain your senses again um and i think being in the outdoors you don't just use your eyes you gotta you've gotta be paying attention you've got to be really present mm-hmm. um and and that's what i love about the outdoors and that's what i love about the extreme outdoors like whitewater paddling or when you're in a rainstorm, you feel alive and you feel so much more present because there's an element of risk and danger and so to me, that's the first point. Part in learning to communicate with nature is to be present to it, and um, being present to it could be in a lot of different ways. Whether it's meditation, or you're mountain biking, or you're just you know looking at a leaf. Um, the other thing, the next step is is really about um, dropping your preconceived ideas. Um, something we talk about in our course is that. Um, we have to reimagine the world through a five-year-old right. lens. So go back to those questions that you used to ask your parents about how does everything do everything? How does a cat <laughs> jump so high? How does an ant carry so much load? Um, that curiosity is the kind of the epicenter of reconnecting with nature and learning how to speak its languages. You've got to ask questions. And then the more time you spend with it, um, solutions will eventually reveal themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I mean, um, I, I go up for walks, and I could pass a, a certain spot a thousand times, and then you know, the next time, it's every time I see, I see more. Like, there's just always totally. more there. Yeah, and something I'm like, was that really there? Like, was that rock yeah. there? Was that moss really growing in that direction? Like, <laughs> I didn't see that yesterday, and it's just amazing that as you start to open up to more senses. Yeah. You start to see more. Like there totally. just really is more to see and more experience. And that's really been, you know, my experience being out on the land with, you know, some of our indigenous partners, like you said, it's like, you know, they can just, they just see more, right? Yeah. Their their experience is is bigger. So when you, when you take something like that, and and you're, you know, you start from the premise that you need to be able to really connect to all your senses because there's potential danger. And and I know I was, you mm. know, in the Amazon last, a couple of years ago, I was with this indigenous leader and he was like, okay, stop. How many sounds and smells can you identify? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like three. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, as kids, because I'm coming from the city of Toronto. So it's like, you know, and we're not conditioned to that. But he was like yeah. as kids, they had to identify up to five, 10,000, because like you said, you have to be so aware because there's danger lurking around every corner. You could get attacked by a puma or bitten right. by a poisonous snake, or you need to be so attuned to those senses and so present. And so I thought that was fascinating because in that reality, there is a necessity that drives that presence yeah. and that knowingness. We've now created really comfortable societies where we no longer have the need to, to be so present for, for survival. Mm-hmm. I think we have a need now to be, to reconnect with that presence for survival in a different way, <laughs> for yeah. our soul's survival and for humanity and our planet's survival, right? So how do we make that transition to um, consciously going to that present state, um, even if it's not out of a, you know, risk or immediate life or death threatening situation, like it's more of a conscious just choice now, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And you you made something kind of click in my brain that. Um, a big part of why we've built ourselves outside of nature is for safety and security. And I think it's somewhat ironic that we still live in a pretty fear-based society. And so even though we're outside of nature and we've controlled it relatively well, um, we still are driven by fear. And that's just a basic phys- psychological response that we have to the unknown. So um, the to answer your question, how do we represent ourselves to the natural world? Um, I think it's a good question. I'm not sure if I have an answer for it, but um I think a part of what we do in biomimicry and you know, a methodology is we spend time with it. And when we start to look at it from a designs design lens, we can abstract like you know, brilliant ideas asking questions like why is a flower a certain color? Or what, you know, how does it um attract um organisms to pollinate it and and as you start to really ruminate and think about those ideas um you start to connect with with that species and recognize it's living in a context and it's adapting and changing to try and be the best that it can be in that context Um, that to me is just a you know a psychological way of reconnecting with nature but then like i mentioned the physical connection to nature is what really drives me so being out in the natural world and um i do it through Um, sport and activity like I just find an incredible thrill of dancing with nature as um, as John says our friend he's we're dancing with nature but we let nature lead and that's what I love about mountain biking or whitewater paddling is that you're in this incredible you're searching for this euphoric moment where you're riding the wave perfectly or you hit this you know berm perfectly um but at the same time, you recognize that you do anything, even if you, if you have like a, an egotistical thought, I find I will mess up and land on my head. And it's quite a, a, a sobering moment where it's like, I'm super present to what just happened. Like I'm super present to, to the natural world, to how small I am, how insignificant I am on this planet. And uh, I mean, those are just two ways that I do it, um, but it depends. I know people can meditate. Um people can have plants in their houses. um There's many ways to reconnect
0: mm-hmm. and get
1: back to that space.
0: I think that was really interesting what you said and and um and I liked how you you phrased that nature is always striving to be the best version of itself, right um you know it's always striving, which you know in my mind is is healthy continuity like being able yeah. to survive and move forward in as healthy thriving way as possible right and one of the things that i remember learning from your biomimicry workshop weekend was you know a tree will not grow 10000 feet taller than the rest in the forest because if it grows taller than everything else it will kill the, its own ecosystem and then it itself will die right and and these are not things that are um complex like you know nature is complex but it's also the lessons seem very simple, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are not things mm. that that are really hard to, to really integrate into our lives. I mean, like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, great. If I am, you know, taking all the resources for myself, well, then my ecosystem that I rely on to survive <laughs> will no longer survive. And then therefore I won't survive, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's awesome because what you're saying too is, is like, it's simple um, when you think about it, but may, it may pre be perceived as complex because it's different than what we're taught. Like in a capitalist economy, it's like the the point is to grow, grow as fast and as far as you can. And in an ecosystem, you'll see like um, the canopy is all intact. There isn't, like you said, one tree that's 600 feet above the rest because being intact, like this is a moss wall is kind of... Um, has a it looks like a, a top of a tree canopy yeah. but you can see that if there's a heavy storm or wind that comes and tries to hit this ecosystem this forest by having that intact canopy the wind and all the pressures kind of just gets dissipated and bounced off it can actually penetrate into the undergrowth and mess everything up so it's like a bunch of friends holding hands and locking arms and, and creating this barrier for the undergrowth to to grow and to create more diversity so yeah I think there's there's so many cool lessons in nature, and you're right. It's just about um, connecting with them and recognizing they may be very different than what we've been brought up to believe or to or taught.
0: Yeah, and I think it's um, I think it's about reframing, like you said, the conversation now because we've been so used to pursuing growth as this right. you know, ever increasing, faster, bigger, more you know, more complex kind of process. When in fact. Um, trying to come up with a way forward that Mm. works and thrives for all life i mean that that's complex engineering right like that (laughs) that, that's an engineering challenge for you know the next century that's for sure right yeah and and to me you know i think that that's really um considering more and and thinking more you know obviously what the indigenous always say seven generations out or, or more right but to even if we think about what that even means right that means thinking um today in a way in building today and designing today um for a way that will continue to be sustainable yeah. you know 50 100 200 years out hopefully indefinitely. i mean that would be the goal and yeah. and when you look at nature it's 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 something that um you know it might be more work on the upfront but the systems just continue to perpetuate the best versions of themselves because they're driving yes. towards that right
1: yeah, I think that's a it's a good point that the, the it's interesting the word sustainability because nature doesn't sustain anything it oh. allows release at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I'm really interested in is is sustainability through letting go. It's actually a kind of a counterintuitive that you have to let go of things to be able to be resilient and be sustainable. Nature is constantly adapting at multiple scales. Like if you think of a tree. The branches are moving they're picking up information and making adaptations you know branching in new patterns to be the best for that context its bark is changing its leaves are falling and coming back in new configurations and colors and the roots are changing so that whole system is changing constantly Mm -hmm. and using information to make that change and you know the contrast to human built environment is Um, our buildings are designed not to change and they're built to be robust and to ignore the environment and to try and resist the environment which um, takes a lot of energy and you know the longer we hold on to something beyond its time the greater the potential for collapse like it could be a massive failure the, the more we hold on and so yeah I think you know in terms of building the future it's like We got to start with our mindsets because you know the buildings we're not going to tear them all down it's like how do we build with a new paradigm um one that can be more sustainable for more people
0: right absolutely and i think that that's um that's it it's 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 such a fear-driven way of thinking that i think our society has developed up until now and change is a scary thing right people yeah they're, they're afraid of change because there's uncertainty. You don't know where yeah. it's going to go, um, but I think especially now with what's happening in the world today, we have to start opening ourselves up to um, to change it and, and not being so afraid of it. And I really loved your video that you did on the adaptive cycle and how mm-hmm. nature um, deals with change and releases and how we mm-hmm. might be able to learn from that. You know, and I think it was a it was a great example. It made me think of it yesterday because we had a massive massive rain and windstorm that will <laughs> raged through where we are yeah. and I woke up in the morning and there was just d- trees like broken down all over the place <laughs> everything
1: yeah. yeah. and I,
0: the closer I looked at the trees at first I was like oh my god this is devastation and then I looked closer at the trees and I realized they were all old or dead trees and so yeah. you look at them you realize wow OK, this is kind of like cleaning house for nature, yeah. so that when the springtime comes, there's room for the new green shoots to rise, right? And, and I just thought that was really beautiful. But how do you think that maybe we can learn from nature and, and apply that, um, that cycle of thinking to, to what we're going through now?
1: Yeah, so I think in terms of COVID, um, which is the biggest disruption you know, worldwide, it's incredible to see how it's shifted our thinking. Um, these are opportunities to just reset um, and rethink. What are we doing? Um, nature is going to force us to change. Um, but if you look at nature, um, it's not necessarily forced. It's almost proactive. It's con- It's it's programmed to change. Um, so. I mean, the first thing I did when COVID hit was actually took a, a vacation. I was supposed to be on vacation anyways, but I took that time to reassess what it is that are my priorities. What are we doing as a company? Um, because I want to make sure that the mindset that I'm using at that time um, is going to be something that's productive and you know worthwhile in the future. And and that's what these these moments of change provide us as a reset button. And If you look at the forest that has been knocked down from that windstorm, um, like you said, yeah, that falling of limbs or those breaking of branches is um, not only is it allowing new shoots to capture that energy that was once blocked by the canopy, but it's also putting nutrients back into the soil. So what I love about that metaphor is that nature also, the elders and the people who are passing on also give up and and give their nutrients back to the soil for the new energy and the new um, organisms to emerge. And um, that's one thing like, you know, we're seeing uh, a very, a, I think we always often see generational divides like the millennials versus the boomers. There's such a contrast. But um, how can those boomers give resources, whether it's financial, whether it's like thinking, whether it's, it's about lessons? Um, or mentoring, you know, how do we give back to support the soil for the next generation to really create something? And the cool thing is, is that the millennials, Gen Zs, these people coming up are just wickedly creative. So it's like, if they have the soil to, to create their ideas, it's gonna be unstoppable. And that's that's the exciting part is, is with COVID, you know, people are talking about how do we build back better? And it's like, give it to the young kids because they're wicked smart. And then my goal is, Put it along with a natural philosophy use biomimicry because um we have better evidence that that kind of thinking or, or nature's way of doing things is more sustainable it's been here way longer than we have as a species so why not
0: right absolutely i think that's amazing and that's very inspiring i think the young people and they're grabbing onto these ideas. It's amazing yeah. like talking to people. They are yeah. <laughs> much smarter than than all of us, you know, and, and I think like with these tools, I'm just really excited to see what, uh, what they can co-create and what we can create, you know, with totally. these new ideas and ways of thinking. And you're right. It is a, it is a way of thinking. It's shifting yeah. entirely. And that's why I think that all these conversations about, you know, how can we get back to the way things were, or you know, rebuild based on where things were. Well, you know, that's gone now right and and honestly i'm okay with that right i think <laughs> you know you know when, when you have a system that let's be honest just didn't work for for yeah. humans or for nature or for for any of us you know this is an opportunity as as painful as change can be and as painful as this can be for for many people and for you know businesses and and all sorts of things that happen in 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 change cycles um you know i think that there is an opportunity for the green green shoots you know the 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 young minds and the creative mm-hmm. ideas to start to take form in a completely different way because as einstein says you can't you know solve the problems with the same thinking that created them right and so yeah. have an opportunity to reset totally. and, and to come at it from a new way of thinking and i think this is definitely you know the right way of thinking about about where we go so with that jamie what do you say is um is the world that you see like what is your idea or your vision of, of what the world could look like let's say you know if we implemented all these ideas and biomimicry and started doing what could that world look like
1: <laughs> yeah i think um first and foremost it's it's like i can picture people being free in their own creativity and their own intentions like finding their own purpose um, and learning to how to live in integrity with that. Because I know a lot of people um, who may have worked jobs that they're just like not aligned with, that they're just kind of doing it because it's a job and I respect that. But also in the world that I live, it's like I, I, I want to see people lit up. I want to see people inspired um, creating from, you know, a new source of, of innovation and inspiration. So that's the first part, but then, you know, what i see physically and what that translates to is um a system that's in harmony with nature that's my utopia that's where 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 i want to go is um if you look at the world today there's a very glaring contrast between us and the natural world we've built cities as great kind of um uh almost like temples outside of nature and it's like we push nature out and my whole goal with the com- the consulting company is like how do we reintegrate nature back into our cities um in a way that works for both us and nature how do we get back to that place where um where we used to all be we all came from you know we came from nature and we came from building harmony with nature and finding ways to work together um there is symbiotic relationships so that's that's the two kind of that's the fork that I'm trying to like see in the future is people lit up and creating systems that are in harmony with the natural world
0: and i actually think that's such a beautiful reminder to people because as you say on your website you know the way you think is the way you're going to create right so where where your creation comes from within and it comes from the way you're thinking the way you're feeling your intention that you're putting into it and and so really it does start from here it does start from your heart from your center from your passion from your creativity and so by allowing that to flourish in people Then all of a sudden, imagine what that result would be, right? Right. So what I think we're trying to do is we're trying to create solutions from the outside in rather than from the inside out. And it's just never going to happen because we're doing it from limited thinking, right? Um, So I really love that. If we can foster the creativity and the imagination and
1: and
0: innovation in people, then imagine where we could go.
1: Yeah. And I mean, just think of like times in your life when you've created something with no barriers and no boundaries and nobody told you to create it. It's like it has a different feel and there's a different sense of pride to it Mm -hmm. than if, you know, somebody from the top down tells you you've got to make this report or you've got to do this. It's like, well, I'll do it. But man, was that art project way more fun and and something I want to pass on to my kids. There's a different feeling, a different vibration in, in that creation
0: yeah well everything is energy and so yeah exactly better energy we can put into something the better the results will be yeah totally well thank you very much jamie that was um awesome and i love your insights as always just so inspiring and well thank uh,
1: you so much for the opportunity it was great to connect
0: great